0: As I've said repeatedly over the past six weeks, this series of messages is, again, an invitation for each of us to lean in and embrace the greatness of God. And what a wonderful gift and invitation that is. While at the same time, it's an invitation to kind of surrender to his embrace. You know the difference. You know there are times when you just want to hug somebody. And then there are other times when you just need a hug. And you want somebody to hug you. And to me, that image kind of touches on both of those. We've been talking, or I've been talking, you've been listening, Diana's been talking about embracing greatness. Um, And we talked about a great God. We talked about a great Savior, a great Counselor, a great life, and a great commandment, and kind of a second great commandment. Today I'm going to talk about a passage of scripture from Matthew chapter 28 verses 16 through 20. And uh, I'm just going to walk us through that. Again, I invite you to open your Bibles, open your devices to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, as we work through these verses, they will be on the screen. Um, now, just to give you a little background, uh, this is at the very, very end of the gospel according to Matthew so we 've been through all of christ 's earthly ministry, except for the teeny tiny resurrected ministry he has very early in the book of acts, and we 've been through his arrest, his crucifixion, his burial, and, excuse me, and his resurrection and after the resurrection, we have this, this brief interchange between Jesus and His eleven disciples. So verse 16, Matthew chapter 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So in other words, prior to everything happening, Jesus is saying, you know, here's where we're gonna gather. They probably didn't understand what he meant by that, but after he's been crucified, after they hear rumors of the resurrection, they think, wait a minute, he said something about meeting here. So they go to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Again, just I I can't wrap my head around all that they have been through over a period of a few days. Their minds have to be just spinning uh, again. How do you comprehend what they're processing? So, but they see him, they, they worship him, but some doubt it. Uh, verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age Now this has been called in many of you if you have just just curious If you have a an actual printed bible Bound book type bible in your hand. Would you raise it and let me see? I'm, just wondering if I can even stop saying that because nobody brings one but all right. I just checking I'm, not saying one's better than the other. I'm just saying all right um but some of you maybe in your Bible, it actually has a, a title over this section that says the Great Commission. And this is what it's been known in as for as long as I can remember. Um, Jesus didn't call it the Great Commission, but we call it the Great Commission. This is when the risen Christ... Um, gives his marching orders, if you will, to those who are going to be fulfilling his mission after he ascended into heaven. So again, Jesus has been on the earth for 33 years, we're told. He spent three years pouring himself into uh, a small group of people, and and they had in turn influenced a slightly larger group of people. And now it's time for him to say, all right, here's what I want you to do. Let's be crystal clear about this. Uh, Here are my directions. Um, and then shortly thereafter, as recorded in the book of Acts, he actually, before their very eyes, ascends into heaven to be seated at the right hand of God the Father for all of eternity. Now, the Great Commission, what in the world does that mean? You know I'm a simple guy, and I generally look for simple solutions. So, great, what does it mean? Uh, we use it a lot. Uh, a couple of the definitions I found was great means remarkable in magnitude degree or infect in effectiveness. So on some level, this commission is remarkable, either in its magnitude how big it is, in its degree, how deep it is, uh, in its effectiveness, how it changes people. And so it's great and it's a commission. Now some of you have military experience understand some of commission some of you may have had experience with it I looked for a couple of definitions and and one is an authorization or command to act So it's great. So we have jesus pulling aside the eleven And giving them a great a remarkable in magnitude or degree or effectiveness commission or authorization or command to act In other words, this is a big deal Or it is a task or matter entrusted to another, to one, as an agent for another. Wow. Jesus had said in Luke's gospel, and I shared it a few weeks ago, that his mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. And now as he's preparing to leave his core followers, he gives them this great commission, or he embraces and calls them to embrace a task or a matter that he is entrusting to them as his agent. And friends, we've taught throughout church history that the great commission was not just for those 11, but it was for all who would be followers of Christ that came after them. A great commission. So we have this, this uh, great, this magnificent calling or task that has been entrusted to us. And we are his agent. Now some of you have had the experience, and if so, I'm sorry, where someone was acting as your agent or your representative and they didn't represent you well. Ever have that experience? Sometimes I've had it with myself when I didn't exactly represent my mom and dad very well. You ever hear that? That's not how we raise you. You're right, it isn't. And, and I find myself at times, just, just step back for a moment and take a breath and say, if Jesus offered this great commission, And he commissioned you to be his agent in the world he was leaving behind. How are we doing with that? As I looked at this passage, in keeping with our embracing greatness theme, I see at least six things that are great. And we're going to walk through them very, very briefly. The first is what I call a great possibility, and to me that's, that's captured in verse 17. In verse 17, it says two things. It says, uh, it says in the context of verse 17, I'm emphasizing two things. They worshipped him, but some doubted. Let's start with the first. They worshipped him. That's a great possibility to you and I in this day and age as we seek to walk in relationship with our God and our Creator. Each and every one of us has the possibility, has the invitation to love, serve, and worship a loving, caring, all-powerful Savior who has risen from the dead and to this very day is seated at the right hand of God Almighty pleading our case. What a possibility. We have that invitation to worship him. But I also see great possibility in the latter part, when it says, but some doubted. Friends, I hope you grasped what we're talking about here. This is the 11. These are the people who had spent three years with Jesus deeply immersed in their lives on a daily basis. These are the people who had heard his teachings firsthand as he tried to explain the deep things of God in a way that they could comprehend. They had been there when he had performed miracles on multiple occasions. They had probably had significant, just one-on-one time with him. They had been there when he was crucified. And they had tried to wrap their heads around His resurrection, and now they see him. But some doubted. Friends, I see great possibility in that. Because Jesus could still use the doubters. That means there's hope for me. He changed them. And then use them to change the world. Do you get that? They were just ordinary men who encountered an extraordinary God and in the process touched great possibility. Every one of them, history tells us, went from doubting to being martyred for their faith with maybe the possibility of John the Beloved that's kind of a fuzzy gray area according to the scholars somewhere along the journey after the resurrection they tapped into what they'd received from him before the resurrection before the crucifixion they tapped into that and they found something that said the doubt began to die to where the belief became something they would die for Friends, that's the possibility you and I have. He can and he will use you and I, just little old me and little old you, in Albion, in Spring Arbor, in Parma, in Concord, in Homer, in Springport, and whoever I missed, I'm sorry. He... He will use us to change the world. It doesn't have to be a big deal to be a great deal. And I'm actually going to come back and touch on that a little bit next week as we celebrate our Harvest Homecoming. That that he wants us all, every one of you here, he wants to use you to change the world. Some of you, he's already used you to change the world, and you just don't know it yet. Some of you, he's used you to change the world, and you do get it. The great possibility. Next, I saw a great resource. In, In that passage that I read, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him now why is that a great resource because what is a commission he has that authority and we have been commissioned to act on his behalf which means little o me and little o you has have been invited to embrace the greatness of god's authority on his behalf Wow. Anybody else feel like an underachiever? (laughs) He is in charge. Friends, I don't want to go on the grumpy old man rant, all right? But if you watch the news, if you listen to the news, if you look around you, Sometimes you think, oh my gosh, I don't know who's in charge, but I don't like it. All right? He's in charge. He's in charge. Whether I see it or not, if I believe Scripture, he's in charge. He has all the authority of heaven and on earth. And he gives it to you and I to conduct his business. In Matthew chapter 16 there's an interchange that's going on with Jesus and his disciples. And he, and he says to them he says, "Who do the people say that I am?" And, and they give him some answers and and they're all oh, they say you you know, you're this and you're that. And and then Jesus you ever have somebody who's really good at asking questions and they kind of lead you in, you know? They they give you a, a powder puff, an easy question. And and he and he said, Who do people say they am? Oh yeah, they say you're this and they say you're that. And then he says, Well, that that's interesting. Who who do you say that I am? Oh. <laughs> it just got serious. Who do, who do you say that I am? Maybe we could do that now. Who do you say that he is? And and some of you remember the story. We we, we love to pick on Peter because he was kind of uh, uh, impulsive at times, perhaps even uh, opinionated. Um, And Peter pipes up, and he says, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus, oh my gosh, Peter, you couldn't have figured that out on your own. God must have told you that. And then after that exchange... Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 16, 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And, and, and it's not building it on Peter. It's building it on the revelation that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. All authority is his. And the gates of Hades cannot overcome it. Now, friends, there are days I need to I need to be reminded of that. What a great resource. Friends, you and I have been invited to love, serve, and work side by side with a master who has that kind of authority. That's great in my book. Next in 19, the first part of 19, is what I call the great directive. Um Pretty simple. Therefore, go. Is there anything unclear about that? All the authority is his. He can use us even if we doubt. We can worship him and be connected to his strength. Because of this, therefore, go. Remember we said great is remarkable in magnitude. Therefore, go. Now, friends, I know this is asking a lot. But just use your imagination for just a moment. This particular narration of Scripture says there were 11 people plus Jesus. And Jesus said to them, therefore, go. Do you ever wonder what would have happened if they hadn't? If they said, this isn't working out the way that I planned, I'm going to go all right, but I'm going to go home and forget this all happened. Therefore, go. Friends, I don't want to overstate this, but sometimes I wonder. I wonder about myself. What might be different in the world around me if I, if I kind of got that? And I understood that he still says to me, therefore, go. In Luke chapter 10, Luke tells this story. He says, After the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So he pulled together 72 people and he said, Pair up, all right, and I'm going to send you out. And you're going to do ministry. All right? Verse 2. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I don't think that harvest field is any less full today than it was then. If anything, I think there's even a greater harvest to be had. Verse 3, go, go. We can leave the last part off, but uh, (laughs) go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. In other words it's not going to be easy but i'm still giving you a great directive and saying go matthew jesus says come follow me and i will send you out to fish for people there's something more important than just earning a living he says and i'm calling you to do both yeah, you got to eat. You got to earn a living. But I'm giving you a great commission. Go. Acts chapter one eight. Jesus is, is, this is just, this is it. I mean, it's, the clouds are starting to open. And it's time for him to just go up. Right, wrap your head around that. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. Not you might be, not you ought to be, you will be. And again, the significance for those of you that were here last week, and boy am I glad I didn't try to do that message this week, because there might have been bloodshed. But anyway. (laughs) Jerusalem. That's your hometown. Judea. That's, that's the territory you're comfortable with. Samaria. That's the people that just can't stand your guts. People that don't even want you kind of setting foot in their neighborhood. And then everywhere else. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What a great directive! A great objective, the latter part of verse 19. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Making disciples. Inviting people to become followers of Christ and learners at his table. And friends, what sometimes is lost, but I don't think I'm reaching to say what Jesus envisioned Was Not that those eleven just make disciples. But that they make make disciples who in turn make disciples. 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 To where we get from his day to our day. And disciples are still making disciples. So when we think about the Great Commission and the great objective of the Great Commission, just reflect for just a moment. Who contributed to your discipleship? Who helped make you a disciple? Hopefully you kind of immediately start thinking, well, this, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so. You know, I, Margaret Proudfit. How many of y'all know Margaret? Diana does. She was—I mean, she was about yay high—and she was the sixth-grade boy Sunday school teacher in little old Convice Union United Methodist Church. She contributed to my discipleship, if for nothing else, by showing up and putting up. All right. Think about the list. Now flip the coin. Who thinks of you when they hear that question? Who says so and so contributed to my discipleship? The great objective is make disciples. Who make disciples? Who make disciples? of all nations, as I indicated in the previous one. We're talking a broad objective. This is a big, a great commission. Baptizing them, bringing them to the point where their relationship with God is so real, personal, and life-changing that they declare it, they make public profession of it and are willing, are desirous, are compelled to be included in the body in a very clear, obvious, tangible, real way. The great objective. The great challenge. After we've made disciples, after we reach out to all nations, after we baptize them, we have the incredible challenge, in verse 20, the first part, of teaching them to obey. Friends, to me that's biblical knowledge translated into action in our everyday lives. I, I've gone there a lot. I think I put it here again today. If you love me, keep my commands. By show of hands. No, don't. No, this would be embarrassing for all of us. In my experience, it is really, really, really hard to teach someone to obey in areas that I'm not willing to obey. So if a part of my great commission is teaching people to obey, then i probably got to pay attention. Friends, one of the great blessings, joys, privileges of starting a church from scratch and watching it grow to where caring community is today is seeing things that we got right. But that's a two-sided coin. Because when I look at things we're not getting right, When I look at areas where maybe our obedience is not all it could and should be as a body, I have to say, "Uh, maybe that's because of me. Friends, it is a great commission. And that piece of it is a great challenge. We can only truly teach obedience when we're willing to be obedient ourselves that brings me to the final great piece of the great commission. And that's the great promise. Again, just try to soak up the moment of all they've been through with the crucifixion, the resurrection. Just by the way Jesus is talking, there's a sense that He's not going to be around in the way we're used to having him be around. And he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, those of you who paid attention in English class, unlike myself, notice that that's in the present tense. He's not saying I will be. He's not saying I have been. The way he says that is that he always is. I am. Not I will be. Not I was. Not I might be. Not on a good day. He's saying I am with you always. Always. To the very end of the age, what a great promise, Marshall! Do I have any slides after that one? Two more. All right, because sometimes I forget. Great commission. I had given the worship team um, my teaching notes. several months in advance, and I chose to make a change. And I didn't have them change the songs. So last week we sang a song, because they thought I was preaching this message last week, and I didn't preach this message last week. But last week we sang a song that says, I will follow. Friends, the Great Commission is great in that Christ has entrusted the awesome responsibility of taking his message of hope, healing, and salvation to the whole world, to me and you. What an amazing thing. But it's even greater in that at the beginning, he offers his authority as a resource to us. And at the end, he assures us of his divine presence as we strive to fulfill not just his great commission but our great commission last week we sang the song i will follow and and a piece of that says where you go i'll go sounds like we're following the great commission where you go i'll go where you stay i'll stay when you move i'll move i will follow you who you love i'll love how you serve i'll serve If this life I lose, I will follow you. I will follow you. How are you doing? When it comes to the Great Commission, can you say, I will follow? I'll leave you with that. From great possibility to great promise. Great possibility, and that some doubted, and he used them anyway. Great promise, but he says to each of us, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Pray with me. Father, we often talk about our need to take a step of faith. In, in believing that you are who the word of God says you are. In, in entering entering into a real personal life-changing love relationship with you. In in walking and striving to walk in a life of obedience. Father, for some of us, that seems like an incredibly great leap of faith. But it's humbling to realize that you took an incredibly great leap of faith by entrusting your great commission to us. Father, trusting that we will be responsive and we will go as you have called us, that we will look to not only be a disciple, but to be a disciple that makes disciples and to make disciples that in turn will make disciples. Father, help us to wrestle a little bit in our own lives with, with how we are Buying in to the Great Commission. And, Father, allow your spirit to bring a, bring conviction where necessary, where we need to make changes, bring confirmation in areas where, uh, you know, we've made some progress and help us to continually look for ways to respond to your Great Commission. We thank you, Father. Amen. Okay.